I am lucky enough to say that, you know, I left the clinic to do yoga research, and that is absolutely what I do. I spend all of my research time is uh, really developing and testing interventions for people with disabilities. And it really started with, can we even get people with a stroke to do yoga, right? Is that feasible? Will they do it? Will they like it? Does it help them? And so we've gone from that to it is so beneficial for so many people. Welcome to Health and Human Science Matters, a podcast by Colorado State University's College of Health and Human Sciences. I'm your co-host and digital media strategist, Avery Martin. And I'm Matt Hickey, Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies. In our college, we make it our mission to optimize human health and well-being through discovery and innovation. But don't just take our word for it. Each episode, we sit down with people who fulfill that mission, our college faculty and staff. And today, our guest is Arlene Schmidt, a professor in the Department of Occupational Therapy. Arlene, welcome. We're glad to have you. Hi, thanks for the invitation. Happy to be here. Well, we're glad you're here and we're interested in hearing more about you. So can you tell us a little bit about your, your background? Who are you, your, your sort of educational trajectory, et cetera? Sure, sure. Um, by clinical background, I'm an occupational therapist, which is now shockingly almost 25 years ago that I graduated from OT school. Um, I went to school in Buffalo, New York which, sorry to say for any Buffalonians, is kind of rough <laughs> and um, really gray and really cold. And so about a month after I graduated from OT school, I moved to Hawaii. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's definitely a start. It's, quite a, yeah. it's yeah. quite a difference. It's quite a difference. And I worked there as an OT for about five years. And, um, you know, it's hard not to love Hawaii. So I really kind of found myself there. It's like the years of coming of age, right? Um, and had great experiences and uh, lived like a pretty good life in Hawaii and hung out and had great friends and um, met my husband there. Um, and then what I really started finding was how much I loved yoga. So 25 years ago in Buffalo, New York, there was maybe no yoga at all. Um, and then in Hawaii, because of the different influences from around the world, there was yoga, tai chi, um, acupuncture, things that I hadn't really heard of on every corner. And so I started doing yoga and really liked yoga and um, felt better and then started doing yoga with my clients. And I worked in all sorts of different places. I worked in nursing homes. I worked in schools. I worked in an adolescent inpatient psychiatric unit. I worked in hand therapy. And I kept coming to yoga and finding like yoga was really good for all of these different people, right? 12-year-olds all the way through 95, 100-year-olds and um, kind of decided I wanted to research yoga and um, Sadly, made the really hard choice to leave Hawaii to go get my PhD at University of Florida. And, um, at least it wasn't Buffalo. It yeah. wasn't Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> Learned that lesson, didn't you? It was not Buffalo. And so I'm a gator um, for my PhD. And um, people there kind of thought that yoga was like a little crazy, <laughs> a little too hippy-dippy for PhD school. So um, I did my my PhD really with um, really great researchers with stroke rehabilitation with the plan that I was going to keep yoga to myself for a little while. And then when I got out, I was going to really start doing yoga research. Um, And that's what I've done, which is cool. And uh, yeah, so I moved to Indiana University. I was there for eight years in the OT department and worked in the VA as well. 
And um, now I've been here. I'm on my ninth year already here. It's Time really, does fly, doesn't it? It really, really does yeah. fly. Yeah, and it's great. We love it here so much. So my Hawaii husband loves it here. Indiana was, uh, you know, a little rough. <laughs> <laughs> it's an acquired taste. Um, yes. It's also really gray and cold and humid and um, not, yeah, we just love it here. So this has been really a good home for us. I trained in Indiana as well, so I, I know what so you're talking you know. about. Yeah, it was and a great place. I lived place. in New York, so I know the Buffalo yeah, story. you know that, yeah. right? And it's a great place to be for a stepping stone, but this is a really great place to have landed. So if you rank them, it goes Fort Collins, then Hawaii probably yeah. too. Yeah, no, it, it for <laughs> real is. That's it really <laughs> is. Fort Collins yeah. is number one. Perfect. We are lucky and we get to go back to Hawaii pretty often. Mm-hmm. Um, but we love to come home to here. Yeah, yeah. That's great good. to hear. Yeah, I know. It's good. Arlene, I'm interested in, in uh, early influences, Did, you know, whether, whether they're familial or maybe an early, early mentor that might have sort of yeah. lit your fire in some ways. You know, for me, I always think of my dad when somebody asked me that question. Yeah. So, so I'm a first generation college student. And so I grew up in a family um, where we didn't really think about going to college. And so I luckily like fell into a group of girlfriends who everyone was going to college. And so that's essentially what pushed me into college. Um, so it's a very different um, trajectory than a lot of folks have. Um, and I, I still, if my parent, my parents have passed, but if they were alive, I'd still be trying to explain what occupational therapy is. <laughs> it's a hard one for folks to wrap their head around. Um, but like career-wise, it's really a few women in Indiana who really shaped me and um, kind of taught me that you can have great research career, great quality of life. My primary mentor um, was a stroke neurologist and. Um, and those women kind of ran the stroke world in the in the entire VA nationally. Um, but she still taught me to knit, you know, and um, really felt like those were important skills to have. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, those women just taught me how to write, but also how to live my life and that I could kind of have the best of both worlds. And so I try to do that here and it's a good place, right? Um, and I try to do that with our students to talk about occupational balance and that it's not all work and all school all the time and, and that we need to have this really other side of our life um, and balance, and it's okay, like we can balance it all. And there's days and weeks that you are working really hard, um, but there should be days and weeks when we're really playing hard and enjoying our day-to-day life because it's, it's short and it goes fast, like how we started this conversation. Um, but those women have really influenced me in so many ways. Um, you know, they actually read what I wrote and gave me great feedback, and they had piles of data laying around because they were such successful researchers, but none of them were therapists. And so I was able to go into their data and start asking rehab questions with data that already existed. So it really taught me to do different types of analyses, looking at data in really different ways, the reality of how hard it is to get manuscripts out and how long it takes after you are done with the grant and you're still sitting on a pile of data. Um, So those women were definitely like the big uh, career influence on my life. And um, I think family-wise, I was really taught to 
see the world and do different things. Uh, my dad was in the Navy, so he always mm-hmm. joined the Navy, see the world. And I didn't do the Navy part, but I... Um, it's a good tagline, though. It's a great tagline. <laughs> um, but I really enjoy traveling and, you know, <laughs> moving to Hawaii and yes, moving across the country a few times um, is scary but exciting. And, um, you know, you get to meet people from all over the world and I have friends all over the place that I get to really enjoy. So I think those are um, kind of the things that have really influenced me and how I try to live my day-to-day life. You know, you're, you're fortunate, right, to have mentors who have that broader vision. Right? Yes. Not, not everybody, I think, will be able to share that story. It's great to hear it. I agree. You spend so much time talking about work-life balance, but, you know, I wonder if I've ever used that particular kind of language with any of my own trainees. It, it's Oh, yeah. In some ways, if it's, as it sounded like it was for your mentors, a more natural part of who they were, that, that I'm not defined by my professional yeah. identity. There's more to me than yeah. you know, what you see from eight to five or eight to eight on many days. Yeah, right? and it was that many days, right? I But I agree. There was so much more to these women. And I think part of it was that they opened up their lives to me, right? I didn't just see them in those work situations. We saw each other in other situations, too. Um but, you know, I knew their kids, I I knew their dogs and their chickens and their bumblebees and all of the things that make us whole people. And as an occupational therapist, I really strive to, like I said, have that occupational balance, but to know that there's just so much more. Like work is important, but it's a part of us and there's other things. So um, I'm always kind of trying to figure out what some of those other things are, though, because I get so excited really easily about a lot of things. <laughs> so um, sometimes I don't dive deep into a certain hobby or something that I find interesting. I'm just doing a lot of different random things. <laughs> yeah, what are some of those things, though? Um, really like biking. Um, I mean, I like to bike to breweries. That's kind of my level of biking. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's the best way. That's my kind of biking. Like yeah. I bike to work today, um, but I'm not out doing 100 miles or anything. I like I like all the Colorado things: the hiking, the biking. That we're going camping this upcoming weekend. Awesome. Um, I have two dogs um, who are going camping, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love that. And I really love travel and I love travel planning. I have a problem with travel planning. And so the COVID um, stop to travel has been challenging. So I'm always like, when's the next trip? What are we doing? Where are we going? So I like to use, I, I just like to uh, see what is out in the world. What should we go see? Nice. And my husband grew up in Hawaii, right? And so um, for a long time, it was hard to get him to go places because he was like, Hawaii. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why would we go anywhere else, right? Um, and so now he's gone a few places, and now he's he gets it, and he oh. wants to go see things. Yeah. But yeah. there's still family there, so that that's. A, we have friends there yeah, now. Yeah. Great, yeah. Great. Um, yeah. So any excuse will do. Right? Any yeah. excuse will do. That's yep. great. Yeah. Like I said, we get to go back pretty often, so it's friends and food and yeah. Yeah, it's good. We have stuff. two more friends that yeah. we love to right. want to go to Hawaii. Exactly. Yeah, right? put us in a suitcase, right? I yeah. know. It's, it's a good trip. It's a good one. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So tell us about your lab. What's going on at the moment from a research yeah. standpoint? What are you excited about? Yeah. So um, I am lucky enough to say that, you know, I left the clinic to do yoga research, and that is absolutely what I do. I spend um, all of my research time is uh, really developing and testing interventions for people with disabilities. Um, so we've done 
interventions with folks with stroke and brain injury. And uh, my primary colleague who I've done so much of this work with is Marika Van Pembroke, who's at Clemson University, but we went to the University of Florida together. So we've been conniving for years. Um, and it really started with, can we even get people with a stroke to do yoga, right? Is that feasible? Will they do it? Will they like it? Um, does it help them? And so we've gone from that to it is so beneficial for so many people. I am not married to a population like a lot of researchers. I'm married to the intervention. And so we have um, done yoga with populations of chronic pain, stroke, brain injury, inpatient yoga right after the stroke or car accident. Um, so right now, I have this amazing team with a lot of folks here, with Marika, and then a lot of folks here in, uh, in the college. Um, we're finishing up a study for people with chronic pain and their partner who also has chronic pain. So a, like a caregiving partner, mm -hmm. because we know that caregiving is challenging and actually leads to more pain. Um, and so we finished the intervention in March, and um, we're in the middle of like, writing up the papers and getting things out the door. Um, which of course was quite a challenge with COVID because we were, uh, we were primarily, even though it's a chronic pain study, most folks were older adults. Um, and so we had done two groups of inpatient or in-person, sorry. And so we sit around a table like this and we do education about chronic pain and then we do yoga. And that came to a screeching halt, of course, yeah. with COVID. And we took quite a long time trying to develop all of that into online virtual interventions. At the end of the day, I think the education was really good, but the yoga was not as planned, right? Like we didn't feel like it was safe to have people stand. We definitely couldn't get people to the floor like we normally would. And so the yoga component in a virtual system is probably not our best option. So the other um, study we have going right now is, um, for folks with brain injury. And we got funded through a college mini grant uh, two cycles ago, but we've waited until we could do it in person because our primary outcome is balance. And it's really hard to improve balance if we can't get them standing, right? Or even to the floor because of so much core activity. Um, so we are in the middle of that. We are probably in only week two or three of the actual yoga for that. But I'm really excited about that. I'm working with Jacqueline Stevens in OT and it will, she is a brilliant person looking, who's able to look at the brain and we're doing actual neuroimaging with the yoga. So it'll be the first study in the world to look at imaging before and after yoga for folks with brain injury. So we'll really get to see, hopefully, what's happening, what's changing, because we know so much changes for people, so balance improves, but we hear these great stories about um, their emotional regulation. They don't cry all the time anymore. They don't get angry all of the time anymore. They don't get road rage all of the time. So we hear about all these changes, but we really don't understand why they're happening at the, at the neuro level. And so hopefully um, this gives us some really great information and then we'll put in a next grant um, probably in June, hopefully, to kind of explore that with a much larger sample, um, maybe in a couple of places even. Um, so those are the primary things we have going on right now. I can't help but ask, yeah. you know, if you've had a chance to reflect on how the COVID disruption has impacted your approach to how I yeah. do my research, or if there are lessons you've extracted from that. Yes, so um, the team, it, that I was working with here in the college includes Christine Fruhoff, 
from um, HGFS and Heather Leach from yes. HGS yes. and uh, Jenny Ports, who's a social worker down at UC Health, and then um, Julia Sharp is our statistician. And um, we've looked at it many different ways. So Jenny Ports is really excited about mobile interventions. That's her background. So she's like, let's do this. Let's make this mobile and get it out to the world. And Christine and I are like, oh, but it's so much better in person and they get to connect and socialize. And so um, we're kind of going both routes. We have an R01 in review now of uh, what we, it's called My Skills, My Skills Mobile. So it's merging yoga and self-management skills. And that's in review, very mobile, very much uh, app application-based um, with live yoga being streamed. Um, and then and then we're kind of waiting to see how COVID shakes out right now to write the next grant for in-person um, because we just want to do both. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so it has had quite the impact. Um, I mean, I think for all of us, right, for many years, every manuscript will say, like, due to COVID, this happened. Um, and interestingly, what we, what we think is happening is the mobile version, what we did, was maybe more feasible and we had really good attendance, but the in-person led to better outcomes. So it doesn't really direct us in which way to go very well. Um, and I do think part of it is that yoga piece could not be delivered as we had anticipated, right? We just couldn't. And so we online made yoga very safe. Like that's what we are worried about. Um, so we had many eyes on people and we could contact them and say, oh, are you okay? Or, or scoot your chair or whatever they needed to do to be safe. And so safety became really more important than them being able to be in the posture or work on their breath work. Um, so we have to kind of figure all of that out if, to truly go mobile. I'm curious if, if you think the, the online environment actually reduces the stimulus or is there some social component to the face-to-face -face piece that is yeah. you know, somewhat intangible, kind of hard to measure in some ways? Yes. Right? So socially, they still connected virtually because they were from all over the country. So that's a benefit of virtual, right? And so we gave but them do you space. Think that's the same I I've do been asking not, myself this for many years, long yeah, before COVID. Right. Um, I do not think it's the same. I mean, that's just in my gut, right? Because after they would leave, they might go get a cup of coffee together or something, and, and it continues on beyond us. Um, I've had studies before in the VA. They'd totally skip yoga because they thought, well, we should just go get a cheeseburger together instead. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, don't skip yoga for a cheeseburger, right? But it, but they developed relationships where they helped each other take out the garbage or clean the leaves up or, or just they helped each other's lives, right? And so I think that's impossible to get virtually especially in a time when they were afraid to see each other, be around each other. So I think it is not the same. But it sounds like maybe but. the yoga stimulus itself is also a little different if you're you're not there from a spotting standpoint. Yeah, or, you know, safety Absolutely. component, you sort of had to tone it down. We because, did have to tone it down. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm an occupational therapist, right? So I feel very comfortable helping people move, transferring them, getting them to the floor. And we train all of our staff to feel comfortable with that. So in real life, we get people to the floor, which is a big deal for people. They maybe haven't been to the floor since they either fell or had a stroke or, or you know, 20 years ago. So it's a big deal to get them to the floor. It's a big component for Shavasana, which is the last part of yoga when you lay on the floor um, and relax and kind of let the 
yoga seep in. And so doing that in a chair sitting up is just not quite the same. Um, so there's a lot of components of yoga that was just different. And, and, you know, with COVID, people all across the world did this, right? They have made yoga happen, Tai Chi happen virtually, right? Um, but we don't know at this point. It, can it be as good? Can it be the same, right? Um, my friend and I were just talking about the difference of me, her going to the studio and going to yoga and being surrounded with people versus doing it in my home, which I don't even ever do. I don't know why. <laughs> it's so hard to do it. But if it's on my schedule, I go to the studio, right? Um, so there's just some real differences that we don't understand yet. Um, NIH is definitely interested in it. Um, you know, the reach can be so much more if we do virtual, but it's just probably not the same. But it could be really beneficial. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we've we've been obliged to adapt, whether we yeah. wanted to or not, and yes. can drag our feet as long as we yeah. want. But we have to, you know, and, and you know, having a community of scholars you can think with, right? Your team, yes. right? It allows you to be much more, yes. Again, I think expansive in your view. I, I want to shift for just a second from from what's going on now to to take a little bit of a long view because this question emerged a few minutes ago. So so for twenty five years you've been pursuing this interest in. In yoga, and, and I'm curious about a couple of things. Number one, what helped you persist when you probably had moments where yeah. you felt like you were pushing a rope, you know, which is always kind of a hard yeah. thing to do. Pushing a rope, I've never heard that. <laughs> I like that. The related question is, you know, have you seen sort of the needle move in terms of barriers to adoption, right? So these are kind of, of related yoga. questions, yeah. Uh, yes. So, so for some reason, I don't know why, I'm just kind of hard headed and um, I hate like. I'm kind of pushy in that sense. Like, I just keep doing it. I don't know why, right? And a lot of my work at the very early stages wasn't yoga. It was, we were the first people to say balance and falls are bad for quality of life after stroke. Of course it is, right? But so a lot of my early work was, was that with the idea of moving into yoga. And so it gave me time and space to, to get the yoga grants, right? Um, there is such a shift in yoga research. Yoga is 5,000 years old, right? We did not make this up. This is <laughs> old, beautiful practices. Um, but even 2002, when I started my PhD, no one was talking about yoga. There was almost no yoga literature out there. And now I can't keep up with it, right? There's many articles published every day about the benefits of yoga. And it really started in general with just people, that yoga is good for people, and we're the only folks working with um, people with disabilities. Um, and now, I mean, there's just so much literature. It has to be really gratifying. It's amazing. And, and even living here, there's yoga everywhere, right? And, and in Indiana, we get some pushback, like, oh, this is devil worship. I can't do this, right? Um, or um, just exercise in general, where as here, my bigger problem is we you we like to have people who've never done yoga before. We can't find them here. So here, mm. it's people's norm, right? right. Um, and maybe not since their injury, but it was part of they've done it in some capacity in their life. Yeah. Um, so there's a huge shift. It is much more acceptable across the country, um, across religions. There's just a shift. And so people feel more... Um, like it's more acceptable. There is still the problem with yoga looking. If you open a magazine, it looks like, you know, 
20-year-old white women in tight outfits, right? And so we are trying to push away from that. Um, it can be people in wheelchairs. It can be people who are 90. It can be all different body types and sizes and colors and all of that. And so we're part of that push in the particularly the disability um, venue. Um, but sometimes, you know, they'll publish my work and put a picture of a girl, a young woman, on her head. And I was like, no, oh, yeah. this is not what right. we do. Truth yeah. in advertising. Yes. Right? Yeah. This is not who we are serving. Yeah. Um, and so there's been a shift there as well, but it, that has been a slow shift. I wonder if you have a little pearl of wisdom you might share for a graduate student or an early career scholar who, who you know, is in a position similar to you. I've got this passion and I'm going to pursue it. And, and you, again, you have persevered and, and succeeded and seen, you know, what, what was an N of one, you know, yeah. perhaps <laughs> many years ago now, yeah. you know, a widely adopted paradigm, right? So talk, talk to that early career scholar about perseverance. I think it's the idea of throwing or casting a wide net. Um, when I did my postdoc, I was the only rehab person around. Um, I was more with like stroke neurologists and exercise scientists. Um, and so I didn't, I, I realized I couldn't be with a yoga researcher because they hardly existed, or I couldn't be with a rehabilitation researcher who was going to do yoga because they didn't exist. Um, and so I think casting that wind net, and you know, to be honest, a lot of this is trial and error and mistake and lucky, you know, but casting that wide net, being okay with taking advice about science and research and grantsmanship from all different people, but then embedding it into my work and what I was passionate about because I realized, like, I'm the only one who's doing this. Um, my colleague and I, right, we really were the only people at one time. And so we couldn't get advice about the content. Um, we had to make that, um, but we could really take the advice and the mentorship from people who just had the skills and um, the ability to to help us move forward. And so I think that wide net and not being stuck with the idea, like I have to have an OT mentor. Um, and I hear that now from our folks as they're looking for postdocs or first careers. I'm like you don't need the OT mentor, you are the OT, right? You have that skill set. You need the research mentor or, or now maybe the yoga mentor. But I think really being flexible and open which are great yoga skills and OT <laughs> skills, um, but really allowing for what shows up to work with you, even if it's not what you thought was going to work out or what you thought you needed. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's really no, helpful. Like, I think there will be many people <laughs> in your shoes, you know, a few years back, right? And Yeah. Um, I, you know, undoubtedly, of course, we're, we're covering a lot of ground in, you know, half an hour here. And yeah. there are the typical oh, ups yeah. and downs and frustrations <laughs> and what have you. But I, I just think it's it's encouraging for folks to hear about yeah. success yeah. and a broad Thanks. vision in pursuit of a particular interest, right? But I can I can, you know, add tools to my toolbox to help me understand this particular problem. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. You know, and it's an interest that has clinical import, obviously. It's not just because I'm interested in it, but because it can help people. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And it's cool because I see it happening now, right? I see grads, but all other people around the country who really are integrating yoga or integrative practices into rehabilitation. That is so exciting, right? It's actually happening, which is really fun. Yeah. Got two other questions. Yeah. And these are there are about us as a land grant and us as a college. So the yeah. first one would be, you know, you reflected on your your almost decade here at, yeah. at a land grant and you know, are there particular features of working at a land grant that you find appealing? 
Yeah. Absolutely. So it's very different. I was at a medical complex in university um, when I was at Indiana. There were eight hospitals on campus, which is handy for recruitment, but it really felt like the medical model. And it felt like we are here to fix people and save lives and, and not worry about quality of life or or function or occupation quite as much. Whereas here, we are able to be much more community-based. And, and part of that is because we have to be, because there isn't that hospital setting, right? But we're able to really embed ourselves into the community here at a different level, which I find more enjoyable. And, and some of those are challenges, right? But we ran a yoga and pain study, and it's because they heard of our work and said, we really want yoga here. And so we made that happen, and it was a study, right? But we were in the clinic. We were, I had students working in that clinic and recruiting clients from that clinic, and we were able to serve an underrepresented population and underserved population, and people got something that they needed that they couldn't have otherwise. So I... I just feel like I can really connect to that idea. And um, I hope that we're able to continue that line of work that we're really embedded in our community, but that we feel like we're serving people who need something. I mean, that's one of the other things about yoga. It's very expensive, right? And so if you just go to a yoga studio, it's an expensive thing. People have to have the right clothes, they think, (laughs) right? And so all of those things are expensive. And so I really want to bring yoga um, to people who need it. And, and one of the really amazing things about our community, and I, I don't really see it anywhere else in the country, is that through um, the Recreator, we actually have adapted yoga in our community. So it's built around people with MS or multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, um, and maybe something else. But that really doesn't exist anywhere else that people can get very affordable, very modified and appropriate yoga um, at the community level. So I really like being part of all of that. I think it's great. That's great. That's yeah. Awesome. yeah. So last question. Yeah. I'm eager to hear about your favorite part about being a scholar and mentor, a, a teacher, and a member of this community we call Health and Human Sciences. Yeah. I would say my very favorite part of what I do is actually mentoring our um, thesis students in occupational therapy. Um, we have 50 students a year, and so, of course, I don't get to know them well. Um but I get to really know the thesis students. I, in fact, just had dinner with two of them who graduated. I saw them Monday, but they graduated, I think, in 2016. Um, and so I get to really know them, love them. They become excited about research. One of them just started a PhD program um, this semester up in Wisconsin. So that's by far my favorite. So I get to know them. I get to help them be excited about research. Um, they've all done yoga <laughs> research. Um, but they are getting to work with clients at an earlier stage because they're helping in yoga and brain injury studies where they're getting to touch people who have a brain injury and feel what that feels like, right? How, how do you help them move? How do you help them get to the floor? Um, but then having them be able to be thoughtful and reflective about research questions, about data collection, and all of them have published their research, which is really exciting for them. Um, and they have five, I think, well, knock on wood, if this happens, going to Paris for the World Federation of OT, um, which just got rescheduled, of course. <laughs> um, to, like to have people that excited, you know, four or five years after they've graduated, that conference is only every four years. So that they're coming 
and we went to South Africa four, three years ago, and three students went, graduates went to that. That's what makes me so excited to come to work and sit in my office and teach them how to do research and how to be excited about it, but how to change people's lives through yoga or other interventions. And one of the enduring blessings is to be able to stay in touch after. It's not just while you're here. It's so good. Yeah, it's so it's a good. Lot of fun. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, and hopefully to see them in Paris. Yes, <laughs> fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I know. And alluding to earlier in the conversation, yeah. it does sound like you are now that OT mentor. You know, I guess the, so. the one that you were looking for, you became. You're right. Yeah. I guess. That's, That's nice. Uh, Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So one of the questions that we didn't touch, but I just always like just yeah. hearing about where do you see your research? Where do you see yourself in whatever amount of time it is? The generic number is always five years. But, sure. but what do you see that as? So what I hope happens and I could be dead by then. So um, it's not five <laughs> years, hopefully. Right. Okay. But um, what I hope happens is that my, my team's research leads us to the point that we provide enough evidence that health insurance pays for yoga mm. to be part of rehabilitation. That's, my ultimate goal. And so that's partly why I feel like I just keep doing these studies and keep proving yoga works. And um, some of our more recent studies has been um, integrating yoga and occupational therapy. Um, and so that's really what I hope. And I know it's not happening in five years. Mm -hmm. so, but I feel like people are making it work. So therapists are figuring out ways to integrate yoga um, through our therapists' um, codes for insurance and things like that. So they're making it happen, but I would like it to become really explicit. Like we know this works. Let's just do this. It should be part of our education. Um, this is part of our students' education, as yeah. you can imagine. Um, but that's kind of my very long-term goal. My short five-year term goal is actually more about, it's a little bit of a shift, is um, we've run all of these studies and every single study has someone who has sustained some level of trauma. And so part I was on sabbatical last fall, and part of my sabbatical was to try to understand trauma better and the impact of trauma, but then how can, with the idea of like, how do we better develop yoga interventions to support trauma and stroke and brain injury? Mm -hmm. And my takeaway has become, um, so trauma right now in the literature is is terrible things. It is um, neglect, abuse, rape, car accidents, right? And we know trauma changes the brain and we know trauma changes the body. What no one is talking about and that I want to start talking about with more people is the idea that I suspect a stroke is traumatic, right? If you are laying on the floor waiting to die or waiting to be saved or you're waiting in a car or you're waiting on a ski slope drowning in snow because you can't roll over due to a spinal cord injury, surely those things are traumatic. Surely those things have a negative impact on our brain and body. But no one that I can figure out is thinking about it or talking about it. So that's kind of the little shift that I'm doing with the sense of I'd like to try, if, if I'm correct in that, to work with therapists to become more trauma-informed rehabilitation therapists so that they are addressing the trauma within the stroke, the brain injury, the spinal cord injury. Um, so there's a lot of ifs in there, but that's kind of where I see some shift happening. For sure. Yeah. So it's still yoga, right? Yeah. But uh, with a different focus, maybe. Arlene, you know, 
I have to say thanks for being so open with us yeah, and being you. willing to share. We're featuring our college and who are we and who are we becomes who am I, right, as part of this this crazy tapestry that we call Health and Human <laughs> Sciences. But I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm moved by your story, even though I, I knew bits and pieces yeah. of it in the past. This is kind of fun. I haven't been here for 25 years myself, right, to to get to know people better. We're lucky to have you, and, and I think uh, our students are really lucky to have you. Oh, so thank thanks you. for being thank, part This of was really fun. I yes. really enjoyed it. Glad thank you did. Good. Yeah, thanks for asking me to do it. And that's our show. As always, thank you for listening to Health and Human Science Matters. Be sure to check out our other episodes. If you want to learn more about our CSU College of Health and Human Sciences, visit our website, chhs.colostate.edu.